This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. Certainly is a blessing to be here before you this morning to share a portion of God's Word and its it's my hope and prayer that these things will be a, a benefit and encouragement to you. Appreciate our song leaders this morning, the comments that have been made in the prayer this morning. I think they're all going to lead up. They fit very well in the topic we're going to look at this morning. I've titled the study this morning, Rejoice. You know, we um, just came out of the holiday season. Today is January 22nd. Just only, what, three weeks ago, we were ringing in the new year. Uh, and we have this time in the, that the, our society markets as the happiest time in the year. You know, from about mid-November, probably earlier than that, we're inundated with the, this message of this is the happiest time of the year, tis the season to be jolly, and joy to the world, and so forth. And we hear that through November, through the new year. And then we get to, like today, we're three weeks out of that period. Well, what what happened? Because, you know, we kind of have a, sen- a different sense now out there. There's not a message right now. When we woke up this morning, we're not thinking about the holidays, the happiest time of the year. And now we're in a period, we have New Year's resolutions, and in a lot of ways, those are a, a burden. Like, we've had this celebrating, now I've got to pay for it. And you look at, that's the way the world operates a lot of times. The choices that people make, like a lot of times you take people that go out and party and so forth. Well, they pay for it the next morning and you talk to some of those people. At, they come to the point in their life and like, wow, I'm paying for that life that I lived. It seemed great at the time. There was a lot of good times, but I'm paying for that now. One of the things we're going to notice in our scriptures this morning and this, this idea of rejoicing is we will never when it comes to the rejoicing in the promises of God and being a Christian, that true rejoicing, that joy that we have in God, we're never going to have to pay for that. We're never going to regret it. In fact, it's just going to lead to more rejoicing. It's an eternal rejoicing is exactly that. It never ends. So we're going to look at those things this morning and just continuing on with that campfire example, hopefully these things reinvigorate us. I don't think we're going to look at anything new, but hopefully these things are a reminder and get us thinking that out of anybody in this world, us in this room this morning should be rejoicing more than anybody because of the things that God has done for us and because we're free from sin. Our first scripture this morning is from Psalms 118. I want to notice a couple verses in this this psalm, verses 3 and verses 19. In Psalm 118, verse 3, we read, But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. And then in verse 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of salvation. Now, first of all, I want to notice here in verse 3, let who rejoice and be glad? Let the righteous be glad. And not just let them be happy. It says let them rejoice before God. But one step further, let them exceedingly rejoice. And if you look at this psalm as a whole, it's discussing God's victory over his enemies. 
And who reaps the benefit of that victory? Well, it's God's people. And so the, the, the words here are, let the righteous, or those that seek to do what's right, those that seek to follow after God, let them rejoice, but not just be happy, let them exceedingly rejoice. And that same point is true for us today. Jesus Christ has the victory. He was victorious over temptation. We know that he was tempted just like we are, but he was victorious over that. He never gave in to that temptation. He was victorious over sin, not the sin that he committed, but just sin in general. He was victorious over that sin. And who reaps the benefit of that victory? Well, it's us, those that seek after God, the righteous. And don't you just love the way this verse 19, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. That is just, uh, that is just an amazing thing. And when we think of ourselves, how do we receive those blessings from God? <clears throat> do we daily load God with thanksgiving? I know that I don't, although... Although every day God is loading me with benefits, how do I, how do I receive that? Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And these verses here probably have been on our mind recently. These are certainly popular around, again, around the holiday season. They talk about the birth of Christ. They're in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 13, says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And with these verses here, we, we kind of know, I think, what's going on down here. This is the birth of Christ. We know those events. I think we're probably all familiar with that. But what often gets lost there is what's going on up here. We have this great declaration, the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in, in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So we have this unique event, this birth of the Savior that it's never happened before, never going to happen again. It's such a special occasion that happens down here. But in heaven, there's this this great declaration, and is that a unique event? After Christ was born, did suddenly now the heavenly host doesn't praise God? Is suddenly now glory to God gone away? Is goodwill towards men, does that fade away now that the birth of Christ has happened? No. God is good all the time. That is not a unique event. We can very easily go through life in that seasonal type mentality. Well, God's blessings are greater at this point in time. You know, we see that again through the holiday season. This is the happy time of year. But really, every day is a blessing from God. And his blessings do not diminish as so often our thanksgiving to him does. You know, when we first came to God, we probably had a lot of zeal. We were fired up and we were ready. We obeyed the gospel. But then as we look at our lives, what happened over time? Where are we at today compared to when we first obeyed the gospel? I want to look at the example of uh, the prison guard or the jailkeeper when Paul and, and Silas 
take him and he's baptized. This is in Acts chapter 16, verses 33 and 34. There, starting in verse 33, we read, and he took them, and so this is, and he is the, the jailkeeper, took them, Paul and Silas, the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized. He and all of his straightway. And this follows when he asked, what do I need to do to be saved? Paul tells him exactly what he needs to do, and he, you know, he's receptive to that message, and he straightway, or immediately, is baptized. Verse 34, and when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Why was he rejoicing? Why was he rejoicing? It's because he heard the gospel and he obeyed and he understood what that meant. It was a release. All the sins that he had committed were wiped away the slate was left clean and you got to think of a, a jailkeeper has to be a man that understands bondages he as he i don't know how big this, this prison or this jail was but the people in there are locked behind bars so if anybody understands that concept it's going to be him because they're stuck in there in that cell so when that message is preached to him what do i need to be to do what do i need to do to be saved He's got to understand that the bars were opened up. He is free from that bondage of sin, and no wonder he's rejoicing. Do we know how he turns out? Like, did he stay with that same level of rejoicing? I don't, I don't know. We're, we're left to guess. But we know that when he obeyed the gospel, he rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. You know, the angels made that declaration they make this declaration, glory to God in the highest. And when we obey the gospel, when we declare Jesus Christ, you know, we make this declaration that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I got to thinking about these declarations we make. And, and when we make those things, we're fired up. You think about the day you were married, if you've been uh, blessed with a spouse. You stand before people and you make these vows. And then what happens at the end of that wedding? Well, you are declared, or I now pronounce you man and wife. But as time goes on, how are we looking at our spouse today? Are we as fired up about that marriage today as we were on our wedding day? Probably not. And that's why things like wedding anniversaries, those are useful tools, because it helps us reinvigorate, light that fire again. And we could certainly use it in our, our service to God. Because we know we can look back and we were, had a lot of zeal. We were on fire for serving God then when we obeyed the gospel. But how about now? And when we talk about declarations, my mind started going off into the Declaration of Independence. Again, it's an, when this country was founded and those founding fathers, they declared independence from bondage. And they wrote this, this great document, this Declaration of Independence. And if you read through that, I know you can't read that, but there's so much to do with God in that document. And we look at that now and we see a country that has drifted far away from that founding principle, these unalienable rights that God has given us. And in that document, we see life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, those unalienable rights from God. But as Christians, we have an even greater declaration, if you will, 
the Bible. And in that, we have those same principles. We have life, life eternal. We have liberty, liberty from sin. And we don't have the pursuit of happiness. We have obtained it. We have obtained joy. So Jesus' ministry, really when you look at it, it was a declaration of independence. He came here, you might say he came here and told us, I'm going to free you from sins at all costs, and that's what he did. That whole message and how blessed we are to, again, we're the ones that reap that benefit. He was the one that got nailed to the cross, but we are the beneficiaries of that, and that is just, it's hard to even appreciate that enough. And so we are endowed by our Creator with joy, and it is truly a gift from God. And James 1.17 tells us that God is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And God is never going to give us a bad gift. One of those gifts is joy. We see this here in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 26 says this, For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. And who does he give this to? He gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This is also vanity and grasping for the wind. Does everybody get joy from God? No. We're told here, as we've read already before in another verse, joy is given to a man who is good in his sight, to the righteous, to those that really seek God. The sinner collects and gathers, but it's for, for him it's like the imagery here is grasping for the wind. And it's exactly that, grasping for the wind, you don't get anything. You just get a handful of air. But it, when you really think about it, those that want joy find it because joy is in God and God is not going to run from you. He's not going to separate himself from you, and we know that from other scriptures. If you draw near to God, he's going to come near to you, and he's going to give you that joy so anybody that really wants true joy can find it. When you seek God, he will provide you with these gifts here, wisdom, knowledge, and joy. And wisdom and knowledge, those three things really just, they wrap up well to each other because as you gain wisdom, as you study the scripture, you really understand why you should be joyous, and it really makes you joyful because you realize how good God is. And so those three gifts, you just really can't separate them because once you have that wisdom and knowledge of God and truly understand that, you're going to naturally have joy. You're going to naturally rejoice. Joy can be found in a lot of things, but... No matter how good those things are, the only eternal joy comes from God, and it's the only joy that fulfills our life. And you can think about, maybe think about a vacation or even just something you've always dreamed of doing. Maybe there's a place, like, I wanna, I've always wanted to visit this place. And if, you, if you're blessed enough to go visit that place or do that activity, you get there, and it's almost surreal while you're there. You're enjoying it. Maybe it's a few days or a week. You're on this vacation, and it's great while you're there, but if you're like me, you come to the end of that vacation, and you're like, oh, tomorrow i got to get back to real life. 
And you, all you're left with, you have these great priceless memories, photographs. If you've been on the hiking trail, you have this, this everything smells like smoke. You have this, these, these memories in the past, but you had to come back to real life. When we look ahead to heaven, we're going to a place that we can only imagine. The difference is we're not coming back. We're going to be there forever, and it's going to be greater than anything we can even imagine. So why would we not rejoice if we're really hopeful in that? If we really know we're going to go there, we should, we should be rejoicing in life, knowing where we're going to end up. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. And this is Jesus here. He tells us, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So our Lord and Savior is preparing us a place, and we have this great promise I'm coming back to get you so that you can spend eternity with me. Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, if these words and these two passages don't make us rejoice... I don't really know what will, because Jesus Christ himself says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you so that you can spend eternity with me. Here we read that we are not only children of God, which is kind of un unbelievable in, its, in of itself, that we would deserve, which we don't deserve, that we would even be able to consider ourselves a child of God, but not just a, a child, but a, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's hard to even get your head around. A joint heir with the Savior of mankind. Again, if that doesn't make us rejoice, I don't really know what will. We know that we are just flooded, though, with a world that totally writes this off. You know, joys... Joy comes from, if you listen to the world, true joy comes from living a life to the fullest. Go out there and do what your heart desires. Live a, a joyful life and just experience everything. Live life to its fullest. Well, it's interesting. We have a man that did exactly that, who was, other than Jesus Christ, the wisest man that ever walked this earth. And he has... And he tells us what that does, living life to the fullest. I'd like to look at this account. It's the account of Solomon. And he talks here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 and 11, how he lived life to the fullest. And we'll see in verse 11 at the conclusion of this, he looks back upon this and sees, where did this get me? So here in verse 1, he says, I said in my heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth, or I'll prove thee with rejoicing, or, or pleasure. I will prove thee with pleasure. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself to wine, 
yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good, what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Verse 4, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom, wisdom remained with me. And can you just picture yourself, pretend you're walking through his property, and he's showing you all this stuff, and it's just, I mean, he has everything. Verse 10, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. And see, here he says, Solomon was not, in all of this, he was not miserable. I mean, he had pleasure in these things. He said, I didn't withhold my heart from any joy. So he was not living this painful, miserable life. But we're going to see here, the kicker is where he says, my labor. My heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. And then in verse 11, he's going to reflect as he thinks about all of the things that resulted from his labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. It's like grasping for wind. All of this stuff, people would look at that, they have, even to this day, look at somebody like that and say, wow, he had it all. But from the horse's mouth, he looks at it and says, it was all vanity, vexation of the spirit. There's no profit under the sun. And again, that comes from, other than Jesus Christ, the wisest man who ever lived. So there's... Definitely credibility in this is what, he, is what he's saying. Those pre pleasures of life are so short-lived, but that's where the world looks for joy and things that are temporary. And just think about these pleasures. Pleasures come and go out of style. Think if... If your birthday, your, your next birthday, if somebody were to ask you, what, what can I get you for your birthday? Or what might you want for your birthday? What you want right now was probably different than, this, than that last birthday you celebrated. Certainly, if you look back when you were a kid, what you wanted as a gift then is definitely different than now. Or what even interests you. Back there, you may have had some foolish interest 
Today, your interest is much different, the thing that may bring some joy to you. And that's just an illustration of how the world's goods, those joys we may get from the things of the world, they're all short-lived. But it's the blessings from God, his promises, the joy we have in God that is consistent, whether it's today or 10 years from now. Those things of the earth, as Solomon said, I withheld my heart, not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. Those things, they satisfy a carnal desire. That's what an earthly joy does. It gives us enjoyment at that time, but it goes away. True joy is anything but that. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. Galatians 5, starting in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. In other words, there is absolutely nothing that prevents us from practicing these things. We're unlimited in what these things, there's nothing that prevents us or we should never feel like we're prevented from loving, having joy, peace, and all these things. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Joy is one of these fruits of the Spirit. What fruit are we, how do we produce fruit? Well, we produce fruit by the way we live. The fruit is the result of that. So joy is one of those things, peace, by the way we live, are we creating that fruit? And there's a lot, if you look at this, this chapter, you go back and look, especially in verses 16 and 17, there's a point made. The Apostle Paul talks about the war that goes on between spiritual things and fleshly. Those things, those works of the spirit and flesh war against each other. And if you're trying to live a life, which hopefully we are, where we are producing joy in these fruits of the spirit, but at the same time we're trying to satisfy our flesh, maybe say ride the fence in those things, that's self-defeating because we're trying to please both of these things and one of those is going to win out and so... Often it's the, the fleshly things that overtake the spiritual. That would be like planting a garden and planting weeds in that garden. That's kind of how foolish of a mentality that is to, to live a life that satisfies these affections and lust, but yet have the hope that we're producing the fruit of the Spirit. We will never truly be happy by living the wrong kind of life. And to, uh, this morning, if, if you look at yourself and, and you realize that you're not happy, that you don't have joy in your life, this would probably be a good, maybe a good place to start, especially in verse 24. They that are Christ, who's that? That's Christians. Christians have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Maybe take a look at ourselves, whether we've been a Christian for a day or, or 50 years, maybe really look at ourselves, have I really crucified the flesh 
with the affections and lust. How am I really living? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And then so much of joy depends on or is related to our relationships with others. Verse 26 gets into don't be desirous, don't desire vain glory, don't provoke each other, don't envy one another. It's relationships. How are those relationships with one another? If you are producing the spirit, uh, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, you don't have to worry about these other things because if you have, if you seek peace, love, and joy, you're not going to be desirous of vain glory, provoking someone else, envying someone else. So many of that, that spiritual fruit relates to relationships with other people, especially our relationship with our fellow Christians. One of the great joys we have, and this has already been mentioned, I think several times this morning, one of the great blessings we have are our fellow Christians. And we can see how the Apostle Paul, and I couldn't help but measuring myself against his example, look at how much he valued his fellow Christians. A couple of verses here, Philippians 4 and verse 1 says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20, For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. I don't think the Apostle Paul could have given a greater uh, compliment or, or show of love towards fellow Christians. He says, you are our crown and joy. I rejoice in you, and, and I rejoice as I look forward to meeting Jesus Christ at his coming. I look forward to you being there with me. Could he have spoken any higher of his brethren than this? Do we look at each other as our crown and joy? You know, when you pulled up to church this morning, did you have that level of, wow, i got to spend the day I gotta, to come, and I get to see my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. I didn't have that. I'll confess that to you. But the Apostle Paul was somebody you could tell that his, as he says here, my joy and crown. That's how he looked upon his fellow Christians. And it wasn't just the Apostle Paul. The Apostle John says in 3 John 3 and 4, For I rejoice greatly, when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. And look what he says in verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Paul and also John, they loved their brothers and sisters in Christ and they celebrated their faithfulness of others. The Apostle, Paul, Apostle John, he had no greater joy. Nothing else made him happier than to hear that his children walk in truth. And you think about, think about everybody in this room. Do you have any greater, how joyous are you that others walk in truth? And it's something that we all take for granted. You know, if 
This morning we pulled up and found out that three families just decided to, to leave. They decided to go another, well, we would be really thinking about it then. We tend not to, to appreciate our brothers and sisters while they're here. Do we have that same level of joy? That is, there's nothing else that makes us happier than seeing when someone else is faithful to God. When we look as parents, is that the greatest joy that we have, that our children are faithful? Maybe what's even a scarier question, is that even a goal? Is that even something we think about, that our children walk in truth? Is that a goal? We all influence somebody in some way. Is that a goal we have as we go through life, that people that we have influenced are faithful? Do we think about that? Do we find happiness in the faith of others? Is that even on our mind? Sadly, it, I think a lot of times it's not. And certainly good to read these accounts of the apostles, how they looked at fellow Christians. That was the top priority on their mind were their brothers and sisters in Christ. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. On the other side of the equation, are we bringing joy to other Christians? Are we living out a life where they rejoice in us? Just being part of someone's life, sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot, but just being there is such a big thing, a blessing to others. Don't underestimate the benefit, the blessing you can be to someone, just sometimes just to be, show that you care about them, just to be there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. <clears throat> this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Again, he, and kind of with the same point, he says, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And boy, that sounds like he's speaking to me and you today. As he looks at... Right, look at us, you are in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Paul is basically saying, we're in this till the end. We're in this together. In verse 17, he goes as far as saying that if he's even, even if I'm all used up, and he gives this imagery of being poured out upon a sacrifice, even if it just takes me getting used up, how am I going to look at that? He said, I joy and rejoice with you all, and I hope that that feeling is mutual the other way around. Being a Christian is certainly a joyous life, but there's, there's a definitely a push in the religious world today that if you are a Christian, you're going to just, you're going to live, you're always going to be prosperous, you're just going to be this happy-go-lucky person, you're not going to have any problems in this life. And that's a very popular thought that's going around in the religious world. But that's an idea that sets us up for failure, and in fact, it's, there's nothing farther from the truth because our Lord and Savior himself, you know, he said, I don't even, 
He told his disciples, I don't even have a place to lay my head. You know, are you really going to follow me? We cannot think that anything that falls upon us that may challenge us is somehow something we don't deserve. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Again, this is right from our Savior's mouth. He says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Many people would look at this and say, man, you're crazy if we told that to them. You know, I'm glad when people hate me for Christ's sake. And they look at that as, as nonsense. The wisdom of the world looks at that. But Jesus himself says, you are blessed when men hate you, when you're outcast. They shall reproach you. They're going to cast your name out as evil for, for my name's sake. You are blessed in that. And that is just hard for the world. The world will not understand that. And this, in verse 23, rejoice. When that type of stuff happens to you, do what? Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. You know, that's probably an expression we've heard probably all of our life. Somebody jumping for joy. The excitement is so great. They're so happy that they're jumping for joy. Well, Jesus Christ himself says, here's a reason to jump for joy. And that is so completely opposite of what the world, even a lot in the, the so-called Christian world, preaches a different message than that totally but again going back to the source Jesus Christ himself says when when things are rough now things are rough for the right reasons when you're getting persecuted for my name's sake jump for joy you are blessed in that you're only going to be able to do that though it, going back to the wisdom and knowledge if you understand why those things are happening to you if someone or something can take away the joy that you have, it's, it's not the kind of joy that is eternal. If, if your possessions, if that's what you have joy in, and those possessions are taken away, and now all of a sudden you have no joy, well, that was a joy that was something of this, this earth. The joy that's eternal that we're speaking about this morning, nobody can take that away from you. No matter what happens in your life, true joy can never be taken away from you. You know, when the apostles were getting beat up, you know, they were prime examples of this very thing here. We probably, none of us have been beat up for our faith, but the apostles experienced that. It was not a walk in the park for them. They weren't feeling great after they got stoned or, you know, whatever. They were, they were feeling the pain, but yet they were still thankful and they were still joyous. What their attackers could never take away from them was their joy. And as they were getting beaten, you got to think that those attackers, those people that were persecuting them were thinking, we're going to make this guy's life miserable. 
And they thought that they were doing that when in fact they were having the exact opposite effect. They were making their life blessed. And again, you can't understand that without knowing the truth of, of God. And even Jesus Christ himself, the world at large did not roll out the red carpet. When he was born, he was in, you know, with the animals as a newborn. And as he lived through life, it was no picnic. And when he hung on the cross, you know, they mocked him after all of the, the torture he suffered. He was hanging on that cross. The world or those people thought that they had won, that they had got Jesus, that they had won the battle when in fact they had lost. And Jesus was victorious. They had done, achieved the exact opposite of what they thought they were achieving. Luke chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Be kind of cool if you could do these things, I think. If you could tread on serpents or scorpions and do all these miracles we know the things that the apostles did that would be pretty neat if you could do those things but jesus tells pretty plain and clear don't rejoice in those things you know that was part of the plan here you know don't rejoice in that don't rejoice that the spirits even the spirits are subject to you but what do you what did he want them to rejoice in your names are written in heaven and that same message to us today don't rejoice in all these things you may experience in this life. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And again, that is something somebody can beat you to a pulp, but they can never take away that true blessing. You know your name is written in heaven. And again, if that does not make someone rejoice, what, what will? We look forward to that same joy in heaven as the apostles did. You know, we rejoice in hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What rejoicing we should have as we look forward to that. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Wherein ye rejoice greatly, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, the little bit of pain that we experience in this life just it, it's going to get replaced with everlasting glory. That there can't even really be a, a real comparison there. The, the pain we experience here and the glory that we're, we look forward to, we can't even explain it. It is hard to even imagine the joy that we'll have when we meet Jesus. If you ever visualize that, we probably have. What is that going to be like when you come face to face? with Jesus Christ what is that really gonna be like we're 
going to probably be left speechless. You're not even going to know what to say. Even now, though, we should have unspeakable joy. We don't see him yet, but we know that we are. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you look to that, that word unspeakable, look to the Greek that's defined as to which words are inadequate. We can't even speak, we can't even do this idea justice. This is unspeakable, an unspeakable thing that we, we look forward to. Psalm 32 and 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Again, just you can't say it enough. As a Christian, we should be rejoicing. We should be the happiest people on the, in this community. We should be the happiest people really on the face of, of the earth seeing what God has promised to us. Got a, a series of questions here that hopefully are useful to us. The first one being, who is the happiest person I know? You know, we've probably all met somebody that, man, that person is just, they are joyful. That, that is the happiest person I know. Maybe it's several people. Those are the happiest people I know. And that may be an easy question for us to answer. The next question may be a little bit more difficult. Why is it not me? Why am I not the happiest person that I know? When you take all the things we've looked at so far, why am I not the happiest person that I can think of? And finally, what more does God need to give me for me to be happy? That, as I ask myself that, wow, that is it was really a helpful question for me to ask myself. What am I lacking why I can't be happy? And I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, we know that we're not lacking anything. We should be the happiest people that we know. The, the study would be incomplete or the talk would be incomplete without Psalm 118 and verse 24. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That is every single day as we started with. God daily loads us with benefits. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We heard a Excellent lesson last Sunday about the good old days and how somehow we think about those days were better than now. Now every day that the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And hopefully we are doing that this morning, that we are rejoicing in this day that God has given us. Romans 5 verses 8 through 11. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. If today is not a day that you're rejoicing in, 
consider these verses here. Whether you've came to Jesus, maybe you've drifted away, maybe you've never known Jesus, maybe you're somewhere in between, God gave you His Son for your sins. He reconciled you to Himself. We are saved by Jesus Christ. There isn't a person in this room, in this city, in this world that doesn't need Jesus. And there is not a single person in this world that doesn't have the opportunity to come to Jesus, to have, I mean, it is an open invitation for all. Everybody has the opportunity to be saved, and everybody has the opportunity to have this joy that we've spoke about this morning. This morning, if you are ready to have your sins washed away, or if you need us to pray on, on your behalf, uh, we'll sing a song of invitation. Please come forward at this time while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.